Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. So if you find anything beneficial from today's episode or even a previous episode, please rate the show. If you share the show with a friend or a family member, please rate the show. The more ratings and follows the show has, the more successful the show will be, and it helps me bring on phenomenal guests. So I appreciate the listeners doing that. On today's episode, I have Dr. Kara Zella, an honors graduate from Yale who earned his MD from University of Cincinnati with the honor of Alpha Omega Alpha. He was a practicing orthopedic surgeon for 25 years before he switched his focus to non-traditional medical specialties of hormone replacement, sexual health, and age management. In 2014, Dr. Carazella became an advanced fellow of the American Academy of Anti-Aging and Aesthetic Medicine, a member of the International Society of Sexual Medicine, and the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. In 2016, Dr. Carazella received his master's degree in metabolic and nutritional medicine from the University of South Florida. He currently practices in Orlando, where he devotes his practice to serving the needs of the patients with hormone deficiencies, sexual dysfunction, incontinence, nutritional imbalances, and age management issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carazella. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you are lecturing next weekend at AMMG in Miami, and I'm going to be there with some of our providers, and I'm super excited to hear your talks because most of your talks are around estrogen, which can be controversial at times. So I want to start the show with you kind of giving like a high-level explanation of why estrogen is important for both men and women. Because people tend to think of it just as a female hormone, and it's not. Absolutely. And that's exactly the way that it is. It's perceived as a woman's hormone. And, you know, the importance of estrogen, or let's be specific, estradiol in women, is that it supports so many of the basic functions in a woman, whether it's just reproductive support, that is uterine health, but it also goes for brain health. Bone health, without estradiol, women are going to lose bone quality. It also is very cardioprotective, meaning that the estradiol itself fights the development of heart disease, plaque buildup, and the rest. And when we see estradiol decline in women at the change of life and menopause, they have really dramatic increases in a lot of diseases of aging, which are directly tied to the decrease in estradiol. And so it's clear, and most people will not argue with the fact that estradiol is crucial for women, and the disagreements or the controversies start to come into whether or not you replace it or whether you don't. You know, I would argue that the literature is abundantly clear that estradiol must be replaced in women to maintain health and vitality as they age. The controversy comes around when you start to talk about estradiol in men. Men require estradiol almost to the same degree as women do. Now, there's a couple of reasons why that people think that that may not be true. First of all, when we look at a lot of the baseline studies that are out there, and these are studies that are done, say, people just walking in off of the street. That is, you go to your doctor's office and he does some blood work, and he'll find out that your estradiol level may be high. 
And what they do is they will look at these levels of estradiol and correlate it to disease and illness. And indeed, what we find is that these baseline studies in these people that are not getting hormone therapy, when the estradiol levels are high, indeed, there is association with diabetes, cancer, heart disease, obesity, and all kinds of medical problems, okay? But the challenge there isn't the fact that the estradiol is high and these diseases are there. I don't dispute those studies at all. In fact, those studies are absolutely 100% correct. It's the interpretation of these studies that really leads to the challenge. That is, how do you know what the cause and effect is in these studies? It's like trying to do a study with seatbelts, okay? You call up the state police and say, I want to analyze seatbelts, and I want to look at that, and they, because I think seatbelts cause wrecks. And you go to the scene of the accident and you find out, wow, 80% of the people that are in these fatal wrecks have their seatbelts on. And you go, I think these seatbelts are causing fatal wrecks. What's well, an observation? You can't prove causation. Anybody would tell you that that's an absolutely ridiculous conclusion to make. That conclusion is no different than trying to tie estradiol to these diseases that it's associated with. In fact, when you really take a close look at the literature, what you're going to find out is that the estradiol may very well be a reactive uh, issue. That is, the body is actually trying to heal itself by creating the estradiol to deal with these issues. Because when you look, a great place to look is in the prostate cancer literature. When you look at the prostate cancer literature and you show these men that have had their hormones severely blocked, that is their testosterone and their estradiol, when they block these hormones, they find out that these men get extremely high rates of rapidly progressive heart disease, new onset cancers, severe dementia, osteoporosis, all-cause mortality. And then there's great studies that show when you reverse that and give them back estradiol, that these men actually improve in their health. And when you look at the studies where you give testosterone and the estradiol levels secondarily rise, they also improve in their health. So I think when you look at the interventional literature, that is where you show a cause and then an effect, that's when you can, can when you can draw the conclusions that estradiol is in fact very healthy and helpful for men in all of these areas in terms of cardiovascular lipids, sugar metabolism, reduction of visceral and subcutaneous fat, erectile dysfunction, cognitive abilities, and pretty much all of the same things that women experience when they go through menopause. Preserving and in fact enhancing estradiol in men as they age will actually improve these things as well. I love the seatbelt analogy. I think that's a good one that people can wrap their mind around and understand there. So we'll probably have to steal that and use that. And you're treating men and women in your practice. Is it a pretty even split there for you? I'd say it's somewhere around one third, two thirds. That is men, women, 60% women, 40% men, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, slightly more women than men. Okay. One of the titles of your sessions, which this one is probably... I'm, this is the one I'm probably most excited to listen to you talk about. It's estradiol as an alternative to statins in the management of cholesterol in men. Great title, great topic. That's what the program says. It actually, I expanded a little bit. It says hormone optimization in the prevention and reversal of, as opposed to stats. Yeah, so it kind of expanded it just the tad because I bring a little bit of testosterone and thyroid in as well. Well, let's talk about it because I want you to expand upon why estradiol is important for cardiovascular health and what your stance is here on uh, some of the statin and cholesterol. 
So I ask this question all of the time to my patients when they come in and they, they come in on a statin and I go, why are you on a statin? And, and then they'll say, well, to lower my cholesterol. And I kind of look at them and I say, well, who cares what your cholesterol is? And they kind of look at me cross-eyed and say, what, what, what are you talking about? I go, really, who cares what your cholesterol is? I said, what's the real reason why you take a statin? And they, they think about it a while. I go, well, isn't the real reason why you take a statin to lower your risk of death from a heart attack? And they go, yeah, that's it. I go, so why are we focused on cholesterol? What's, what's the issue here? And then we get into this discussion, well, cholesterol causes heart disease and all that stuff. And, you know, we can look at that issue and, and understand really what that is, but it's far more complex than that. It's, it's not always just the cholesterol. It's the oxidized cholesterol. It's the oxidized cholesterol you know, working in, in, in the face of an inflamed body with, you know, loose vascularity. And it, it's in an environment where you don't have enough APOA to clean up these cholesterol fragments and bring them back to the liver. And so the issue of cholesterol and heart disease is very complex and very difficult. And you can get a better sense of it when you look at the application of statins. Because when you apply a statin to men in trying to reduce their cardiovascular disease, I think one of the most dramatic slides I'm going to have in my presentation is in the most severe high at-risk men who are getting statins, the risk reduction is only about 4%, and that's of all events. That's not just fatal events, that's all events. So you're treating millions and millions of people, and over the course of time, the percentage of people that are indicated for statins has climbed from something around 10% to over 60% today. So here we have a drug that's being given to 60% of the population. And, you know, in the lower ranges there, we're seeing these numbers needed to treat of 200, 300. And by that, I mean, how many people do you have to give this medicine to to save one fatality? So you're looking at 400, things like that. And you look at a a prevention of events of 4% at the maximum in the most at-risk group. That means you're giving these medicines, which have some potential downside, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second for only 4% improvement. And of that, the fatality prevention is even less because that's all all events, okay? That's heart, non-fatal heart attacks, you know, blood clots and other things like that. So you look at that and go, what, what are we doing here? Because I know from the literature, without even testing cholesterol or doing anything, I can use testosterone and reduce all-cause mortality dramatically by multiples of that 4%, 25 to 50% in some studies, without even dealing with the cholesterol. And so when, when we take that under consideration, we go, why are we using this medicine that can cause erectile dysfunction, that can cause hypertriglyceridemia, that can impair sugar metabolism, that can lead to dementia when you really suppress these lipid levels. And I mean, I'm shocked at some of these lipid levels that I see in primary prevention men coming into my office. And so they're the, and, in, and, and even the worst thing in women is these medicines, these statins, can increase the risk of breast cancer in women two or three times. And we're going, well, they, they badmouth hormones that no, no study has ever shown that estradiol causes cancer. Yeah, like I got a half a dozen studies that shows that the relative risk of statins is about two or three times. And yet they roll that stuff out like candy on, on the desk in a cardiology or a primary care office. So we've got these statins, which are just not good medicines for cardiovascular production maybe a couple of points. And we've got the broader question of hormone therapy, which is overall greater protection. Now, when you start to look at 
what these hormones can do. When you apply these hormones and you optimize these levels, and I don't just mean at the top of the normal range. I mean, I'm looking at uh, total testosterone levels of 1,800 or higher, estradiol levels of 150, thyroid levels where your free T3 is five, six, or seven, all without excess symptoms, okay? It's not like I want a number and I pursue that number at the expense of how the patient feels. These people are feeling great. They're doing great. They're living their lives great. And we see these dramatic turnarounds in their blood sugar metabolism and their lipid metabolism. And one of my favorite studies is a study that looks at men who are in the prostate cancer world where they have their hormones suppressed by either Casidex or Lupron or both. And they're walking around with virtually no testosterone or estradiol. And what happens to these guys is they get exceptionally sick. They get severe dyslipidemia, rapid onset heart disease, osteoporosis, dementia, and all of these things. And yet when you give them estradiol in this one particular study, there's a dramatic reversal in their lipid studies. That is, you know, their lipids shoot back to normal and then better. And there's other and further and, and more profound studies that look at lipid levels with estradiol and, and uh, osteoporosis and, and mental clarity and things like that with men as well. So the literature is there and it's just a matter of opening your mind and taking a look at it and trying to put this baseline literature uh, to the side a little bit and, and pay attention to the more interventional stuff that is available to review. So there's several things that I want to talk about in that last statement that you just gave. Let's start with the improvement of all-cause mortality when an individual takes hormones, because so often Americans in general, I think, just want like the feel-good stuff. Well, how soon am I going to feel good? When am I going to feel better? What am I going to feel? And they're chasing that feel-good when hormones do a lot internally that you're not aware of and that you don't necessarily feel instant gratification from. So how do you explain that to your patients that come in and they're just like looking for that quick fix of when am I going to feel good and how am I going to feel different? Yeah, that, that can be tricky sometimes, okay, because clearly, you know, when I first got into this, you know, 13, 14 years ago, uh, when I first started doing hormones, the allure to me was to be able to get people feeling good and having better sexuality. And as I started to learn and read and study, and particularly as I went through my master's program, I started to see the broader benefits that these hormones have on people, you know, and I've mentioned a lot of them here in women and men as well, the, the prevention, you know, the reduction in osteoporosis, dementias, heart disease, all of these things, macular degeneration, physiological improvement. And the literature actually shows that properly balanced hormones reduce the risk of breast cancer, and particularly when you press uh, testosterone levels. I mean, great new stuff coming out of Dayton, Ohio, showing that exceptionally high levels of testosterone, that is testosterone levels of women of three, four, even 500 or even higher, almost wipe out the risk of breast cancer. And these women feel great and yeah, are some sensitive. But the important thing to remember is, is that hormones really do affect the physiology and the well-being and the development of disease. And so as I had gotten into this for a while, I started to get more and more excited about the, the things that I could do to protect health, improve longevity, and not only that, but improve vitality and their longevity. So, I mean, it's like the best of all worlds. You're making them feel good. They're active. They're vital. They're out there hiking and doing things at ages that they've never believed to. I've got 80-year-olds in my office 
having sex five, six, seven times a week. I mean, they're just totally loving their life. And yet you turn around and when you press their physiology, like we do in this office, you start to see reduction in heart disease. You start to see these cholesterol profiles turn around. People are losing weight. I can't believe what I see in terms of weight loss when we press these numbers up the way that we do. You know, when we get that estradiol up to the 120, 130, 150 range for men, and we start just some modest nutritional modifications, getting their carbohydrates down, what ends up happening is these guys get healthy and thin and vital. So not only do their metabolic parameters improve, their physiological parameters, such as their weight, improves dramatically. I mean, I can't tell you how many people we have have 50 pounds or more weight loss in this office once we started really pressing these numbers the way that we do. Well, since you were talking about numbers, let's expand upon that. I know we're we're not chasing a number, right? We're we're typically chasing symptom relief. But in general, let's start with testosterone. Is there a range there that you're typically seeing symptom relief? And let's talk men and women. Yeah, so that that's always a great question because I I probably could retire on the number of men if you if I got a nickel from all of the men that came in to my office and said my testosterone levels are normal. Okay, and I and I quickly will go to a, a study in, in Mayo Clinics several years ago where there were about 20 international experts that got together to discuss uh, testosterone. And they looked at the world's literature and the conclusion that they, they came to among these nine bullet points of this article, and again, in the Mayo Clinic's own journal, right? It says that there is no level in a man of uh, no level of testosterone in a man with symptoms who might not benefit from application of testosterone to improve his symptoms, okay? So if you look at the history of testosterone over the years, we see that it was used widely up until about the 1980s and partly due to the sports controversies and everything from the 70s and the 80s. You know, testosterone kind of started to be looked at in a bad light. And and I tell my guys, you know, I like the phrase performance enhancement, okay? When you're talking about a non-competitive athlete, Performance enhancement is a fantastic thing, and yet we look at it as a negative. Sure, in competitive sports, I get it. But in any ways, you know, these these men went on, and and it used to be the indication in testosterone that it was for the relief of symptoms or low blood levels. And then after a couple of really terribly produced articles in the early 2010s, the FDA met after an editorial, or they published an editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine, and they They met and that's when they put the black box warning for strokes and heart attacks. And, you know, that's when they said they they changed the or to an and. And so now in order to be characterized as low testosterone, you have to go, you have to have both low levels and symptoms. And immediately when they changed that or to an and, they wiped out about 90% of the men who were eligible for testosterone. Now I've got my, you know, I've got my theories on that. And, And again, when you start to really understand the literature the way that I do, You cannot come to any other conclusion that it's political and economic. The literature is just there. And it's really sad that the politics and the economics of medicine today have to take so much precedence over what the literature says are healthy and beneficial things for men. So I don't really look at a particular level. I mean, I would say on the average, most of the guys that I put on testosterone come in, you know, four or five hundred around there, a lot lower. And every once in a while, and I just had a guy in the other day. And, and he, his level was 850 and he felt miserable. I mean, on some scales, that's right up at the top, okay? And I, I've got a handful of guys that have had high levels 
like that. And I've taken them up to 1500, 1800 or whatever. And they do great. And they say, I love it. I'm so much better and happier. They perform better. Their physiology is better. So there is no number on testosterone that I use to include or exclude men. And there is no target number that I use to include or exclude men. I include men that have symptoms or severe physiological disruptions such as cholesterol and dyslipidemia, dysglycemia, and some of those things. And then I take them up to a level at what they feel comfortable at. That is, if they're comfortable at 1,500 and I'm getting the physiological benefit that I want, then I I stop them. If I need to go higher, I go higher. I run myself at about 2,500, and I'd probably say somewhere between 10 and 20% of my people run routinely over 2,000. And some of them I need to in order to get the physiological benefits. And it's kind of remarkable. You get to a point, and then all of these, all of a sudden you see these lipid parameters improve, their sugar parameters improve, and these guys are getting healthier. Uh, they're getting better sex drive, sexual performance, and things like that. So there is no number, and everybody is individual. And I like to call all of my people snowflakes. That is, they're all unique, they're all individual, and they all have to be cared for in terms of the way that they respond. I'm always looking out for symptoms of too much. And, you know, guys, it's the oily skin, it's the acne on the back, it's the aggression and the irritability. So we're we're watching out for those things all of those times. But those are the decision-making things that we look at rather than any particular number. If I had a nickel for every guy that came in and said, yeah, I was doing great on my testosterone. I was getting half a cc of injectable testosterone twice a week. And, you know, this last time I made the unfortunate mistake of taking my shot on the way to the lab and my blood level was through the roof. And my doctor said, oh, your levels are too high. And he cut me and now I feel terrible. I mean, why? I mean, you know, I don't understand. Well, no, I do understand exactly why that happened, but it's really a shame that it does. What about in women? What are you seeing as with testosterone levels? And again, it's another another important thing. I mean, if I if I look at uh, Rebecca Glazer's work and I find out that she has women getting levels of 500 or higher and reducing breast cancer rates by over 75 percent. I go, who doesn't want that? I mean, I, I I do. Anybody that I want to hang around with that's a woman, I'd like to make sure that they're considering that. So, again, with women, you know, the downside on testosterone is oily skin, facial hair, uh, changing your voice, changing the quality of your hair, the thickness of your hair, size of the clitoris or irritability or aggression. I mean, we watch out for those things very carefully. I know from the literature that I cannot hurt women beyond making them not feel good or have some of these side effects. So those are not necessarily dangerous uh, side effects. They may not want them, and I can appreciate that. And so I tell women, you know, the dosing of testosterone is is like the Goldilocks game. It's, you know, every time they come in, did you get enough? Was it too much or is it too little? And we're always looking at those symptoms of excess because I want them feeling great. I want them getting the maximum metabolic support from their testosterone, maximum physiologic. And we see the same thing in terms of other effects that we want, the pelvic health, the mental clarity, the sexual responsiveness, you know, their bone, the reduction of visceral and subcutaneous fat. I want their muscles strong so they're not falling down and breaking a hip. You know, as a former orthopedic surgeon, you know, I've seen enough broken hips in my lifetime. I don't want to see any more. And if I can prevent them, that's what I want to do. So when it comes to a maximum level of testosterone in women, it, it's just not out there. I mean, you know, I got women who are happy at 100 and I got women who have to be over a thousand in order to be happy. And, you know, that's that's what that's what it takes. And they're happy. It's an open discussion 
always talking about the downside, making sure that they're completely aware of what they're asking for or what they might run into if they want some more. But as long as I know I can't hurt them in a serious way, then choosing whether or not they want the side effects to get the positive effects that testosterone has to offer, then they're going to get to choose and make that decision and we'll make that decision together. What's shocking is that there's not an FDA-approved testosterone for women. I just still cannot believe that that's that's a thing in this day and age. But again, don't don't get me into politics on that one because I'll, <laughs> I'll go I'll go ballistic. The literature is just absolutely stunning and overwhelming, and here we are without an FDA-approved uh, indication for testosterone in women. I just I just find that. I know exactly why it is. It's all about keeping women sick and, and, and needing drugs and all of those kind of things. Because if they're on testosterone, they need less drugs and they're sicker. They need more health care and all that. But then let's look at the transgender now. You know, they're pushing these T levels up extremely high or or men's estradiol levels up extremely high. And I don't hear a damn thing about increased risk of anything. The healthcare industry is completely mum on it. I'm like, hang on a second. I mean, when has that ever been studied? Listen, Amy, I think one of the good things that might ultimately come out of that, and and listen, you know, grown people have the right to have their body image and pursue that body image. I have absolutely no problem or quarrel with with trans people who want to live their life the way that they feel that they need to live. And, you know, that's, that's their thing. Just like I want to live mine my way, they want to live. Fine. What's going to happen out of that is we are going to get some really good data on high levels of cross-sex, which would never have been studied in the environment that we're in because hormones are bad. That's been decided. We don't need to look at it anymore. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that statement. Transgender, you do you, I do me. That doesn't bother me. And I do agree. Let's look at it as a positive where we're going to get data and the healthcare industry is going to have to move because of what we're seeing those people do with their hormones. But delivery methods, what are you using for men and women? Creams, injections, depends, pellets? I'm very versatile in all delivery methods, okay? I'm I'm partial to pellets for a couple of reasons, okay? The primary reason is I, I like the sustained prolonged levels that pellets provide uh, for the most part. Okay. And another reason why I like pellets is I like to be able to check in with people and develop a closer relationship. And I find that the people that I see two or three times a year do better because of that interaction and that coaching. Okay. So, so I think there's two things that, that, that lean me to pellets. That said, the, the more I've read and studied about estradiol, uh, particularly in women, and, and estradiol, funny enough, is handled slightly differently in, in men and women. Uh, but when you take estradiol by mouth, you do get a first pass of the liver, which is a very, everybody's going to think I'm going to go down a negative road when I say that. But the reality is the importance of the first pass with estradiol is that you create these things called estradiol esters. And it's these estradiol esters which are actually responsible for the reversal and the melting of plaque that we see in the carotid arteries that we see in the coronary arteries and the estradiol esters also are responsible for simply stated creating a, uh, a lubricated layer on the blood wall. That is when you have a high count of estradiol esters, those oxidized and those bad LDL particles are less likely to stick and less likely to linger on the blood vessel wall. And when they do that, 
uh, or when they don't linger, then you don't get that opportunity for them to uh, go across the blood vessel wall and start to build a plaque. So I've modified a little bit. I used to be just high pellet on both men and women. And now pretty much if I've got at-risk women in my office and I look at about eight, eight, eight sugar and cholesterol metabolism primers that really in my office determine the amount of risk that they have, if they're, if they're starting to be higher risk, they're going to be put on oral estradiol because I want that plaque reversal effect. And, you know, I, I do use a lot of oral estradiol on men, too, for the exact same reason. That is, I want the cardioprotective effect, it's, uh, cardioprotective effects of the estradiol. So when we talk about estradiol in men, it's not just elevating it indirectly through testosterone. It's direct. But, you know, the question was, is what modalities do I use? I love to be very creative. I, I, I mean, I use everything. I use pellets. I use shots. I use creams. Uh, occasionally, I use patches. They're they're expensive and a little bit unwieldy, and they don't stick. But I mean, I probably got about three or four women who just that's what I want, and that's and I, you know, okay, so fine. If if that's what you want, I'm going to be the best one to manage it for you. Uh, but what I really like is is getting into creative situations where, let's say, for example, I've got a woman on pellet based therapy in Orlando. We have a very very unique sexual community. We have all kinds here. I mean, we've got a lot of gays. We've got a lot of trans. We've got a lot of lifestyle or, or swinger type people. And so a lot of these people are really enhanced in their desire to have good sexuality. And so let's say you take a lifestyle woman that is on pellet therapy and she goes along all the time at her nice level. But, you know, she's going out to an event or a party and she wants to dial it up a little bit. Well, I'll give her a little bit of cream that they can use. So we'll augment that for a week or a weekend or whatever they want. And then they can go back down to their baseline and feel good at their normal. And so I teach a lot of my patients how to, you know, vary their levels. I mean, listen, what is normal physiology? Normal physiology, our levels are going up and down and up and down. So why can't we be a little bit in control of that if we want to be able to dial up or dial down our sexuality, particularly if we've already established that we know that testosterone other than the maybe unpleasant side effects is not harmful for anybody. So again, I'll use any technique or any modality of delivery. I'm really partial to pellets, uh, testosterone cream, oral estradiol, uh, and, and things like that. But I can do pretty much you know anything to get a great result. And it's fun being creative because when you get creative, you end up with more happy people because just like anything else, there's no one delivery method that satisfies everybody's needs. And so being able to jump from one to the other makes it easy when someone is not doing well, say in pellet therapy, to, to move over to cream-based therapy. And now all of a sudden you had a patient that was about ready to leave your office. Now he's happy again and, and you're doing a good job. Yeah. We don't do a lot of pellets. We probably have a more split between cream and injections, but we do the transcrotal cream. I'm kind of curious on the pellets with men, how many are you having to place in there to get somebody typically up in that higher threshold? Yeah, that, that, that does get to be a little bit of a challenge. You know, typically I'm using, you know, I would say my average dose in this office is about 22 to 2400, but I've got guys all the way up to 3200 and that's 200 milligrams yeah. per pellet. So you get a guy with 3,200 milligrams, uh, that's 16 pellets. 
Now, you know, we put them in in the flank, not in, in the buttocks. And so there's a nice big fat pad under the rib that they hide in. And so uh, particularly if you're using the steroid-based uh, pellets that are available these days, the triamcinolone-infused pellets, you don't get as much scarring and inflammation. So that nice big fat pad is a great repository to put them in, and you don't end up you know, getting a lot of scarring. I mean, there's always that guy that does scar and is a little bit more difficult to place them. But, you know, I've had guys on pellets now seven, eight years, and their, their tissues are still soft, and it's still easy to put them in. And they're getting doses, you know, 12, 13, 14 pellets at an insert. So it works, but you're right. It, it is tough a little bit. Are you using a standard Trocar device? Or are you using like a Pelcom or? You know, I just use a standard Trocar. I mean, there's some interest in trying to deliver, uh, develop a Trocar that you can deliver free at the same time and make the insertion procedure a little bit easier. But I mean, in my office, I, I, I'm really well-trained. My nurses are really well-trained. I mean, you know, we can fire 16 pellets in a guy in about three minutes. And so, so you just got to know what you're doing and be confident about it. And it's pretty, pretty simple. So what's your standard pellet dose in a female then? I tend to like anywhere between 12 and 15 milligrams of estradiol uh, with a woman that's got a uterus. Uh, women without a uterus like to go a little bit higher and they'll be up to 18 to 30 I've seen. Obviously, you know, it's harder to balance them and keep them from bleeding the higher you go. And the literature shows, you know, you just got to pass that 100 threshold on the blood test in order to get most of your physiological benefits. It's just that some women really like the way they feel with their estradiol levels are, are high. And so if they don't have a uterus, we'll, we'll go as high as they want to. On the testosterone side with women, I'd say my average dose is somewhere around 175 milligrams in that neighborhood. But I got women who are happy with 75 uh, or, uh, you know, 62 and a half milligrams. And then I've got women who take, I mean, I've got one woman who's taken about uh, 2,000 milligrams in order to be happy. And she's a competitor. You know, she bodybuilds. It's an open category. So there's no uh, steroid restrictions. She loves the way she feels. She's a a crazy sex maniac. And, you know, so she just likes to carry around a really high testosterone level. She's as pretty and as sexy as you'd ever want to see with no hair or side effects. It's really kind of amazing. We have a local provider that puts estrogen blocking pellets, um, like anastrozole, into the patient. And sometimes it's a challenging situation for us to deal with. Have you ever seen that? Or have you ever had to manage a patient's care that has had an estrogen blocker placed in them? I haven't run across any men with an astrozole in their pellets yet, but I have run across obviously a, a, a ton of men who have been on an astrozole orally and almost universally, they will tell me that they feel so much better when they come off of the an There's about two or three guys I've had that sticks out in my head that, you know, I told them, no, I'm not going to use it. They would argue with me and jump up and down and they, they did not become patients because you know, estradiol is a woman's hormone. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get man boobs and cry when I see kittens. And I, you know, and I'm not, I can't be a, a big cut bodybuilder with estrogen in my body. So I, that's fine. Uh, I, they, they can go to someone who doesn't read the literature and understand and let them do their hormones. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I ran into a former patient at dinner a couple nights ago and I was like, you know, I'm just curious, why did you leave? And he's like, because you, wouldn't give me the estrogen blocker. He goes, I was reading on the bodybuilding forums and that's what I wanted. And, and when you guys took it away, 
he was just dead set on having it from what he read on the on the bro boards. And so we we, t- we had an open conversation about it. it was a, it was a good conversation. But there are patients like that. They have that in their mind and they're just dead set on it. So you do sexual health as well. And you offer Trimix. Do you do wave therapy? Tell me how you treat erectile dysfunction. We do a lot. And we, we, again, it's another area. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, when you, I remember when I was little, okay, and, you know, I thought I grew up and, you know, I'd retire at age 65 and go on cruises, okay, and, you know, and that would be fun. But I'm going to tell you what, I, I, I've come to appreciate that uh, sexuality in the older ages can be absolutely the most rewarding and fulfilling sexuality. You, you're older, you're mature. You know what you like. You've got a few dollars in the bank. You've got time. You've got time to enjoy your partner. And to be able to enjoy your partner physically still at these advancing ages is just a, I mean, it's just an honor and a privilege to be part of and to be able to restore some of this. And some of the happiest people I have have been people we've been able to restore their sexuality. And so, yeah, we do a lot in that in that realm. I mean, you know, I gave a talk at, um, yeah, I gave a talk at uh, the 20 Ways to to deal with erectile dysfunction at AMMG a couple of years ago. And I still have that talk in there. And and it's a lot of fun to click down through it. I mean, you you start with, you know, physiology and weight and exercise and, you know, uh, getting them to stop smoking and proving their uh, antioxidant state and moving on to nitric oxide and PDE5 inhibitors like Viagra, Cialis and all those things. And obviously optimizing their testosterone. And, you know, 80% of men are going to do great up to there. Well, then, you know, you got the other guys that have been longtime smokers, their endothelial dysfunction, the other reasons that are leading to erectile dysfunction are more severe or dramatic. They've got diabetes or whatever cause. And for those guys, you can move on to other things. I mean, the beautiful thing is to be able to take a man and, you know, have the MAs do a trimix induction and teach them how to use trimix because, you know, by the afternoon, they're out there having sex again. I'll never forget the guy that we had come in a couple of years ago and he hadn't had a good erection in over five years. And we took him in the back and we did a, a, a trimix uh, session, induction and teaching session with him. And he looked down and he absolutely started to cry. It was just really I mean, I, I wouldn't have needed to get paid for him to see that. I mean, it was, it, it's just so fulfilling to be able to touch someone like that. But so, you know, we can get them started on the trimix, but all the while we then get into the rejuvenation and trying to repair that endothelium and the erectile tissue is the goal. And you start with that, you know, pulse wave therapy that shakes up the endothelium and puts it into the healing mode. And you add in the uh, platelet rich plasma, which kind of, you know, quadruples or five times the healing factors into that healing response. And, you know, these cellular derived growth factors that everybody calls stem cells, but they're not really stem cells, blah, blah, yeah. you know, all that. <laughs> you put them in there and get even better. And good, the goodness gracious, we've even started doing Botox uh, as a new procedure for guys. And, you know, I'm anxious to see how that turns out. We, we just started doing that a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, I, I'm dying to see. Tell me more. We get there. <laughs> Explain. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Dr. Runnels, who invented the P shot and the, yeah. the O shot, he's now doing Botox down there. And uh, there's some emerging literature that shows that it's as powerful, if not more than the PDE5 inhibitors. There's pretty much no downside to it other than the physical injection. You know, if you use a hundred units, you can get maybe six months of improvement. So we're, 
we're mixing and matching. Where are you injecting it at? You're doing it's just either independently or in conjunction with the pea shot. Okay, so the same way you would do a pea shot, you know, you're doing it multiple on each side there. Or- exactly. So what we usually do is we'll combine it all in there with a pea shot. Or I mean, they've got you know guys that you, you can do it just the Botox alone and get a result is what they're trying to claim. I'm trying to figure out how it works. Well, no, I get that, but it has to do with the, the smooth uh, paralyzing the smooth muscle. Oh, okay, yeah. And the way that the smooth muscle reacts in order to cause the erection. I'm kind. Of, I mean, it's brand new to me, so I haven't. Yeah. Have I don't have the details down like I've got everything else, but <laughs> it's definitely in his his course and the the physiology behind it has to do with dealing with the smooth muscles and, and the endothelial action that it has. So. He, He's got some great results, and I've had a couple of guys that have been real problem children along the way, and they go, well, you know, let me know if something new comes along, and yeah. they were the first ones on the phone. <laughs> uh, for, but, I, you know, listen, 100 units of Botox is not exactly cheap, so no. it does does add a layer of cost to it. Okay, well, stay tuned on that. I'll be I'll be watching that and looking into that, because we offer all the same things that you just listed, so I'll have to look into that more. What about for female sexual? Yeah, no, I was I was really excited. I mean, find out. I'd highly recommend you take a look at that. It's just another thing. Yeah. So, what about for female sexual health? Are you doing any of that, like that femi wave? Well, for women, I've had a little bit of challenge trying to get the wave therapy on the women. Okay, so when I started, I went down into Adventura, and you know, one of the branded companies down there was teaching everything, and and they had a lot of challenge trying to use the technique on women because. In some women, they would get overstimulation in the office, and, and and that was a little bit of a challenge for me to accept. Okay, now I know some people are doing it, and it seems to be catching on a little bit more. And now that I've got women providers in my office, it may be something that I might take another look at because I mean, clearly, I want to want to be careful in that area. We had used the Viveve and the radio frequency devices, and and we've gotten great results with it. So I'm, I'm rather shocked. At, at the recent developments in the last month or two of Viveve, I don't know if you've heard that, you know, Viveve company has been shut down in production. You can't get parts anymore. And and uh, I liked it because it was non-ablative and relatively non-invasive. And I, I liked the shape of the handpiece as opposed to some of the lasers. And and we were getting good results with it. So I'm, I'm kind of rather shocked that the long-term study that they did came out so negative and caused the company to go under so I don't know what's going to happen. I know they're looking to try to continue manufacturing the hand pieces, in which case we may continue to offer it because at least anecdotally, we've had good success. But we are going to be looking for another adjunct. Now, however, we have recently brought in the m chair. Yeah, I was going to ask And we're that. finding that that electromagnetic stimulation, yeah, is working maybe almost as well as the Vivive did. So we're, we're starting to look at packaging that together with the, the OSHA and the cellular drive growth factors for women as well. So I'm kind of feeling like the m chair is going to help quite a bit for both men and women. We just need to get a little bit of experience with it because it's new equipment in our office. Yeah, and I can see that being appealing for a female because they can literally stay fully clothed and you don't even have to have a provider administering that. So it's so minimally invasive. Um, I can see that being a good option. We love it. I mean, we, you know, pretty much every new patient 
every new woman we have, we go, okay, well, here you go. And, you know, let's like, this is what we can do for incontinence and sexual rejuvenation here, sit down on this and, you know, see how much uncomfortable this is. And they go, wow, that's not even the opposite of uncomfortable. And we've had a couple of women get a little bit aroused with it. So it can be a very pleasant experience on that chair for women. Okay. Awesome. Tell us your website and how people can find you. And if you have any social media. My website is www.hormonesandwellness.com. So it's really easy. We do hormones and we do wellness and we do sexual wellness, www.hormonesandwellness.com. I'm located in Orlando. Uh, My front door is about two miles from uh, the front gate of Universal. And it's maybe about five miles from the front gate of Disney. Right when, you know, you could probably walk to about 200 restaurants within about a mile of my front door. Uh, so we're in a wonderful location. Uh, this is a beautiful place to live in the state of Florida. The weather is gorgeous. Uh, we've got a great clientele. We have a great support in the community. And, and it's been really, really fun becoming a dominant a hormones and sexual wellness and overall wellness clinic in, in this area. And just really a joy and a pleasure to be able to provide the services that we do. You're living the dream. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners have a lot of takeaways and it was great talking to a hormone and sexual wellness expert like yourself. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun hour. I, I think we got a lot of really good information out there. Yeah. And uh, hopefully it'll cause some people to drop their fears of hormones and go out there and be healthy and vital and active and, you know, really see what the good life has to offer as you get a little bit older. Yes, I agree. Thank you very much.